Welcome to the Know No Strangers podcast, where attorney and legal advocate Bill Robinson shares life lessons and inspiration. Good morning, my friends. This is William Robinson, and welcome again to another edition of my podcast, Know No Strangers. And in keeping with our theme, we know no strangers, and we have the pleasure and distinct honor of having one of the most powerful men in Florida with us today, Mr. Desmond Mead, who uh, has been instrumental in restoring voting rights for former felons, uh, people who are returning citizens, as he likes to say. He's been involved in the leader of the Florida Rights Restoration Council. He's been coalition. He's been active in the criminal justice reform movement, raising awareness and building coalitions. And he's been nationally recognized for his work uh, here in the country, particularly with a MacArthur Fellowship. And uh, Mr. Mead has exhibited great passion and dedication in his coalition building and community engagement. Uh, he is a legal and policy expert and a strategic communicator. And we uh, welcome him to this program. Now, Desmond has uh, a very interesting journey, and we know that it is uh, grounded and rooted in uh, his faith journey because he talks about love, and love is a motivator. Desmond, can you share with us uh, briefly your, your early religious training and experience? Well, first of all, let me say good morning to you, my brother. Good morning. <laughs> and I, for a minute, I was wondering who you were talking about, <laughs> with all these eloquent uh adjective that you added to my name but uh let's uh you know i was a son of a preacher right son of a preacher pastor you know so i'm one of those preachers kids and you know i know preachers kids out there some of them will understand that sometimes we wasn't uh acting the best you know uh but uh, we you know i grew up in in a, in a christian family and was taught the bible as a, a very, very early age. I mean, we were doing things like, you know, kids were memorizing the books of the Bible, memorizing pa uh, passages in the Bible, you know. And so, it, you know, as a child, I had a very uh, thorough understanding of the words. You know, I didn't uh, in particular understand all of the principles, but I knew the words, you know, and I was good at it. Uh, as I was growing up, you know, as a preacher kid, you know, you want to try different things. And, and, and that's what I did. But, you know, one of the things I always you know tell folks is, you know, sometimes people, you know, Christians who have kids that may be acting out or doing things differently. Sometimes they wonder about, man, am I a good Christian because my child is getting in trouble or whatever. And in my situation, you know, my, my parents planted the seed. And it wasn't up to them to uh, to grow it. You know, it wasn't up to them to get the harvest. You know, it was, you know, God that did the growing. And those seeds came to fruition, you know, later on in life. You know, but they were planted by my parents. And, you know, my actions in between that time did not have any reflection on their uh, parenting skills. It was just That's a path that I had to go. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. I had no idea that you were so deeply rooted in in the Word of God, and uh, and and you're the father of uh, four sons. Is that correct? We have four boys and one girl. 
Okay, and 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 how uh, how are you acting as the religious teacher for them? You 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 sound like a preacher too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes I get accused of being a preacher, but I, you know what? I don't preach to my kids. You know, um, I share the word with them, and then you know, I think the best way to get to my kids, you know, is to lead by example. You know, and so they see how I live my life. They see how I. I treat other people, you know, they see how I, and this is important. They see how I deal with people who may not be friendly to me, right. Or not be friendly to the things that I work on. And they see the, the level of dignity that I show give to, to anyone, whether they're, you know, the president of the United States or the person that's addicted to crack cocaine. So oh, you you have uh have been a a teacher for them by your model. Now yeah. you obviously have uh shared with them your experiences in uh 2018 with the constitutional battle that you fought. What what spiritual lessons uh came out of out of that uh, struggle to uh regain voting <laughs> rights to uh returning citizens? Well, let me let me tell you. Not only did I share with them my experience of uh, the Amendment 4 Constitutional Amendment Initiative, uh, each and every one of them was heavily involved in it. And so each of my children played uh, a, a key role in this. You know, they did something that was much needed, whether they were collecting petitions, what, whether they were uh, going with me to talk to folks about why they support the effort. Um, Two of them had the opportunity to actually vote on the amendment eventually, you know. And so, you know, they played different roles. They created flyers for me. I mean, they they were involved in every aspect. And so, you know, not only did they just hear me talk about it, they got to experience it themselves. But, you know, one of the things that, you know, there was some scripture that stood at the foundation of the work that I was doing. And, and the first thing was, was when Jesus talked about, if you love me, you feed my lamb. If you love me, you feed my sheep, right? And where he said that so much as you have done to the least among us, that's what you've done to me. And that was a charge to really uh, focus on, you know, the people in our communities and society that has been most weakened by various systems of oppression or systems of racism or discrimination, you know, and that we are, we were given the charge uh, by Jesus to actually uh, advocate on their behalf, right? And he was like, you know, what you know, the scripture was saying was that, that he wasn't impressed with all of the flowery things that we do or what we do for the pastor or the bishop. You know, he wasn't impressed by what we do for people of statue. What impressed him was what we did for the least among us, right? And, and so, and then I always close with First Corinthians 13 that talks about love, right? Because, you know, everybody likes to use that word, you know, and it's so easy to say you love somebody that confer a benefit to you or make you feel good, right? But the kind of love that First Corinthians was talking about, right, was how do you love your enemies, right? How do you love the people that don't, that don't confer a benefit to you? And th that passage basically say that, man, you could be, the, you know, you could attend the church the most, you could do the most in your church and you could accomplish a whole lot of great things, but none of that is impressive or matters to, to, to Jesus. If you don't know how to love 
people who you may even despise, right? And so they 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 seen that those scriptures kept you know me and the campaign firmly grounded because the other thing that they seen and I tell folks is that uh, our campaign number one was inspired by God, right? It was and it was led by God, and every single day there was at least two different prayer groups that prayed over that campaign. And we were able to accomplish things that man said couldn't be accomplished. Amen. Right. Amen. And so they seen the miracle, you know, develop right in front of their eyes. Right. And, and, and especially they seen positive results as a result of sticking the scripture. Now, now you have uh, uh, stated on a number of occasions that that love you talked about Corinthians, uh, the love, the love verses there. You talked about forgiveness and redemption. And uh, all of these things are important in our in our Christian journey. But, uh, you know, we live in such a toxic environment right now where where love seems to be one of the least <laughs> values that is being espoused all around. It's, it's personal attacks over and over again, all over. But you were able to rise above that somehow with your, your constitutional amendment. I heard you say that there was not one dollar spent in opposition to Amendment 4. Is, was that because of love or explain that? <laughs> hey, that was because of the divine uh, presence that our campaign had and that we, yeah, we approach this with love. You know, you know, Martin Luther King once said that hate can't drive out hate and fear can't drive out fear and darkness can't drive out darkness. Right. But the light and love can drive that stuff out. Right. And so we we were very admin of making sure that everything that we were doing centered around that. And so one of the things that, you know, we were able to do no matter what part of Florida we were in. And this is something that, you know, uh, to my understanding have never really been done when, whenever there's been initiatives in Florida, you would never get the entire state on board with it. Right. You may get one part of the state that's for it, the other part of the state that's against it. And then maybe another part that's, you know, uh, flipping back and forth. But in this particular case, we had every uh, uh, section of the state that was in strong support of our work. And one of the things that we did was that when we approached people, we would ask them a question, a very simple question. Do you know anyone who you love who's ever made a mistake? Right. And, and, and that was the basis of our interaction with people. Right. Who do you love that's messed up before? but deserve a second chance, you know? And when we, when we took that approach, right, we, we, we just naturally rejected the typical approach of creating enemies in a fight and thinking that you're fighting against people um, and, and, and that you're trying to instill some type of fear in someone and motivate them by fear or, or, or hatred, right? Our motivating factor was love. And when we won in, in November of 2018 with over 5.1 million people voting yes on Amendment 4, you know, I love to tell folks that those votes were not votes based on fear or hatred, but rather they were votes that was based on love, forgiveness, and redemption. And we showed the world that love can, in fact, win the day, that love can bring people together from all walks of life, whether they're white, black, Spanish, whether they're are conservative or progressive or don't even have any political leanings or, or even religious leanings, right? We were able to get a broad cross-section of people from all walks of life to vote yes on Amendment 4. 
And I strongly believe, and I said to this day, that love actually won the day. Now, now Desmond, Amendment 4 applied to uh, uh, people with felony convictions. And was that all black people or was it just black people? Or what was the percentages of, of the one point? five or six million people who would apply to? I mean, that's a great question. You know, when I first uh, was made aware of felon disenfranchisement, you know, <laughs> I was led to believe that it was only black folks that experienced that, you know, because uh, we, you know, understand that felon disenfranchisement was instituted in the state um, primarily as a, res as a response to the freeing of the slaves. And so it's an initial intent was to diminish the political capital of newly freed slaves. But I tell folks, just like a tumor that may be in a part of your body, if you ignore it, it's going to grow to other parts of your body. And that's exactly what happened. And felon disenfranchisement, uh, when I, by the time I started, had impacted like people from all walks of life, right? And the reality was is that African-Americans in Florida only accounted for about a third of the people who could not vote because of a previous felony conviction which meant that there was over a million people in Florida who couldn't vote because of a felony conviction that did not look like me or you, <laughs> you know, they look, they look different than mm. us. And so it gave us a, a really, I think, unique opportunity to talk about an issue in a way that involved everyone. Right. And so it didn't become, it wasn't a, a African American issue. Um, it, it was an all American issue which allowed us to engage people from all walks of life, all races, you know, all socioeconomic statuses, and really talk to people about love, forgiveness, and redemption. Well, uh, these, uh, these uh, issues uh, such as uh, uh, allowing people to vote again, I mean, th there are a lot of issues that uh, transcend race, obviously, and in in the Democratic Party, when it's been successful, has been successful because it has been able to uh, build coalitions of people who have similar interests. But uh, I mean, uh, when Andrew Gilliam almost won the the election, was that the same time as Amendment 4? What, what, that, was was, that was the same time. That was the same, same time. time. So we yeah. had a very large uh, black voter turnout, a very large voter turnout period. Okay. And, and I was uh, shocked to find out from my father that, you know, in the United States, there's 50 states and Texas has the number one, the highest number of blacks and Florida has the second highest number of blacks. So when DeSantis beat Gilliam by 34,000 votes, it was a very slim margin. And this amendment may have changed things. But then DeSantis went on to, to have a landslide. I guess that was Charlie Chris wasn't a good candidate. What's your observation on that? Well, you know, let me tell you, <laughs> you know, um, one of the things that, that I looked at, you know, was history, right? And let me tell you what history tells me, right? His, as it relates to African-Americans, when you go back to the, the uh, time when felon disenfranchisement uh, was instituted, when you go back to the time of Jim Crow, right? Uh, when you go back to the time when African-Americans were being hung on trees and, 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 and bitten by dogs and sprayed with fire hoses, Right. And, 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 and murdered and intimidated from registering the vote or even voting. Right. That was done by the Democratic Party. Right. And so we see pendulum swing back and forth. And so one of the things that that I really 
thought was so important was that we depoliticize, right, felon disenfranchisement in our work, right? Understanding that, you know, at the end of the day, this is more of a human issue than a political issue, right? Now, what we've seen um, when, for instance, um, we've seen the election in which um, um, the, the current governor defeated uh, Andrew Gillum, right? We looked at the people who voted for Amendment 4, and we found that over a million people, right, who who voted for DeSantis also voted for Amendment 4, right? And 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 I think what that speaks to is, is the ability to elevate the issue above partisan politics, right? Uh, and, and we were able to successfully do that. And where we kept our, our campaign was along the lines of humanity. We wanted to connect with a person's humanity first before we connected with their implicit biases, before we connected with their uh, uh, partisan leanings. We wanted to connect with their humanity. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, I think that that, you know, I don't care what the issue is, right? If we could make it more of a human issue than a political issue, you know, you have an opportunity for for that issue to be resolved. Desmond, you uh, have uh, been honored with the uh, MacArthur Fellowship. Uh, they call it the Genius Award. And uh, it's a, a grant of money for a period of time. And, and you continue to work on civil rights here in Florida. Uh, what, what is the Juneteenth effect in your mind? Well, the Juneteenth effect was, you know, when the slaves were initially freed, we had some slaves in Galveston, Texas, that did not know that they were free until two years after the Emancipation Proclamation, two years. And what we seen was, in spite of the fact that Amendment 4 was a very visible uh, and, and talked about campaign, uh, after we passed Amendment 4, we discovered that there were like hundreds of thousands of, of, of returning citizens that were not aware that Amendment 4 passed, much less what Amendment 4 was, right? And, and so we called it the Juneteenth effect because there were at least 600,000 people who was free but didn't know that they were free. Hmm. Hmm. So how many people are, are, I mean, can you measure uh, how much work still needs to be done to get returning citizens back into the pipeline so they can uh, participate in the election process? Oh, there's still a lot of work to be done. I mean, we're really looking at, you know, what we did with Amendment 4. Uh, it immediately cleared a, a passageway for 1.4 million returning citizens uh, to be able to vote. Um, you know, the Florida legislature immediately after we passed Amendment 4 enacted um, legislation that uh, required that people pay any outstanding legal financial obligations before they were able to exercise uh, the privilege of Amendment 4. And that impacted approximately 775,000 uh, returning citizens. But when you do the math, you know that that left still 600,000 folks who did not have any outstanding legal financial obligations and were eligible to register to vote immediately. And so, you know, there is like... <laughs> There's hundreds of thousands of folks that need help paying their fines and fees. So we were able to 
to uh, help some, you know, a little over 40,000. Um, and then there's still, you know, the group of folks who don't need help with their fines and fees, but just need to be informed that they are eligible to vote. I mean, even when you look at it from a national perspective, there's over 9 million returning citizens in this country that <laughs> have all right to register to vote and participate in our democracy, but they don't because they believe that because of a felony conviction, they're not allowed to vote anymore. I think so the, state of, the state of Mississippi just uh, overturned a lifetime uh, felony conviction ban. I think the court did there. Uh, how, how can people get involved, uh, Desmond? How can people work with the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition? Explain what, what you need people to do. Well, listen, let me tell you, we need, like, attorneys galore uh, to uh, you know, provide some pro bono assistance uh, to help, you know, what we've been doing is going into the courts and having the courts waive or convert those outstanding legal financial obligations into community service hours. And so, you know, we do the bulk of the work, but we need uh, attorneys to volunteer their time to represent, you know, some of these folks uh, in court, you know, throughout the entire state. Uh, we need folks to help with research. We need folks to donate where they can donate, you know, and all of that can be found on our website at www.floridarrc.com, floridarrc.com. Folks can go there and there's a multitude of ways that people can get involved, you know, and, 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 and advocate on behalf of the least among us. Well, Desmond, I really appreciate uh, your your service to uh, the state of Florida, your service to the community. Uh, you and I go back a long way. My father was the first African-American to own a, a Denny's franchise in, in the southeast back in 1999. And uh, when I was a dishwasher, you were a cook at Denny's. And that was, that was a long, long time yes. ago. Yes, yes, yes. And when my daughter graduated from high school, you were a videographer, and neither of us knew at that time that you would go on and 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 change the world, and and she would go on to MIT. So praise God for for the connections. But the seeds were planted long ago, as you said, PK preachers kid. And I really appreciate uh, this time you spent with us on No No Strangers. And uh, what would your closing remark be? Well, <laughs> let me add one thing to you. Because uh, you talk about the MacArthur genius, right? But what I want your listeners to know is that also in February of this year, my organization was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize this year. Wow. By the same organization who nominated Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Wow. Right? And let me tell you, right? I don't know how many guests you've had on your show, right? But I'm You're the first. You, You're the first. You have, <laughs> You got one that uh, was uh, named one of the 100 most influential people in the world by Time Magazine, or the MacArthur Genius Fellow, and whose organization has been nominated by the Nobel Peace uh, for a Nobel Peace Prize. And I say all that uh, not to brag on Desmond, but to brag on God, right? Amen. To, to, to be the, an example of the amazing things that can happen when you focus on just doing his work, right? And his work is simple. It's very simple. It's to give back. No matter where you are in life, there's always someone who's worse off than you, right? And if you focus on taking care of God business, he will take care of yours and he will do a much better job than you could ever do. 
Well, I, I can't add anything to that. Uh, magnify the Lord, magnify the Lord every day. And uh, thank you, Desmond, for uh, taking your time to talk with us this morning. And my friends, we uh, now you know no strangers. You know Desmond Mead to be a spiritual man and a and a citizen of the world. Uh, God bless you, my brother, and I look forward to seeing you again. And, and put my name on those uh, pro bono lawyers at work. Uh, I'm willing to help, okay? Most definitely. Most definitely. Appreciate that. Thank you, Paul. Have a good day. And uh, remember, if you need me, call me William C. Robinson. Bye-bye. Gotcha. All right. Have a great one. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Mr. Robinson's legal practice, visit williamcrobinsonattorney.com.